progress. You ready? Yeah. Five, four, three, two, one. Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of the Agency Podcast. Eugene here in Toronto. Hello, it's Candy here in Chicago. There was a, a, a pause there. You were trying to decide if you were really here. <laughs> I have had kind of, you know, it rains, it pours. I've had a busy couple of days. Yeah, I don't know or, where Or I as my dad used to say, when it rains, it freezes. <laughs> he also used to say that Murphy was an optimist. When it rains, you get flowers. <laughs> oh, Murphy was an optimist. That's terrible. <laughs> well, I did stay downtown Chicago with my friend Trisha, who's working in the city and who listens to the podcast all the time. Hi, Trisha. Hi, Trisha. So she's working in town, so she had a hotel room, so I went and stayed there with her. So I do feel discombobulated. Ah, where yeah. does she live? She lives in Kenosha. Ah. In Wisconsin, across the cheese curtain. Right. So she used to live here. That's where we met. But she lives in Wisconsin, and so we don't always see each other that much. Well, that sounds oh, like a, I just a, fun, a fun time. A, oh, yeah. No, I Downtown Chicago, out. a hotel room. I know. You two on the loose. My goodness. It's, it's dangerous. Um, <laughs> and we, played pretty, we played pretty safely last night. Um, I went downtown a little earlier and walked around and looked around, got some exercise. And then um, we went out and we grabbed dinner. She got in around 730. She took a train into town. And um, it's probably about an hour train ride. And then we went and found like there's very few restaurants are open in that area. We're right by the stock exchange. So it's kind of businessy. Things mm -hmm. close early. So we're sitting there on our phones, you know, just looking and Googling, looking for um, a restaurant to be open. And actually, we found a great place. I don't remember the name of it. It was called South Central Tavern, South Tavern Grill or something like that. It's like a it pub fair. It was, it was delicious. It was pub fair and it was all outside right beside the river. So it was fantastic. Nice. Very, very nice. We, we, and, um, you know, she does keto already, but I've been dieting for two weeks. So we both got burgers with no buns. And oh veggies, my. I know. And veggies with, with, um, you know, as a side instead of potatoes. So, you know, bothering How depressing is that? <laughs> it was delicious. I really, sure really was, good, but I, I like a bun with my burger. I gotta say. Oh no, I, I actually don't mind it at all with, without it, especially if there's lettuce around, but I can do it without the bun. But um, you know, I, I'd eaten steak for a couple of meals as my low carb. So it was good to eat something different. <laughs> and then we had two gin and no vodka soda because there's no sugar in the soda water, right? Mm -hmm. So we're not, I love vodka tonic, but I'm relinquishing the vodka hey, tonic. You know, I have become a fiend for sparkling water. Oh, really? Yes. I don't, I never used and to that like is sparkling so water. hilarious. I, but I was, I thought, you know, I was drinking a lot of juice and juice is a lot of empty calories, I think. And Oh yeah, I don't drink juice. And so I wanted to get away from drinking juice. And so I started buying at my local no frills. They had uh you could get sparkling water, uh, like President's Choice or whatever, for 88 cents for a liter. Okay. So I was going through a bottle of this crap a day. <laughs> and and then I saw my local Canadian Tire, a device for making your own soda at home. 
Oh yeah, Scott and Jill had one of those. Yeah, so I I priced it out because they they had the what the like last year's model on sale for about sixty bucks, and that included a cartridge, and a cartridge will last me about two months. Yeah, good like that, and the cartridge is another. 20 bucks after that. So about 20 bucks every two months. It works out to be considerably cheaper than the 88 cents a day. Plus I'm not throwing bottles into, um, into bottle recycle land, whatever happens. Oh, right. I mean, drinking pop and unfortunately juice your body. I don't think it really knows the difference between juice and, 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 and pop because it turns to sugar so quickly. That's why rice is tricky on a diet because it goes to sugar right away and changes your blood sugar. So um, the important thing is yeah. that I've discovered the joys of adding <laughs> sparkling water to a cocktail. Oh, that is. So, well, when I'm there, you know, what we'll do is we'll make my homemade tonic water. Oh, yeah, for sure. We have gin and tonic. That would be awesome. I yeah. think that would, we could make a video of that, too. We could, we uh, could share with our, that. And our it, listeners. It's also so much fun because you're going to feel like a, a witch or a warlock when you make well, it. Well, you know, you, you may recall you left some bitters here when you were last here. And so I've been... You add a little bit of the bitters and some bar scotch and a little bit of the soda and a squeeze Ooh. of lime. And it's just not bad, you know? Not bad. And also, not didn't they leave the chocolate, Aztec chocolate there too, bitters? Or was it just the orange bitters? Uh, there's lavender bitters and oh, orange lavender. bitters. And there may be another one kicking around. I mean, you really Aztec. overdid it on the bitters when you came <laughs> over. Like more bitters than I've seen in my entire Ooh. life. <laughs> well, I'm just drinking some tea right now and I'm laughing into my tea plus um i'm feeling a little verklempt about the whole week i have my um flask here the agency flask with a bunch of scotch in it which i took don't tell anybody on the greyhound bus when i was riding the dog i never drank it but i was afraid what if i can't sleep i'll take some scotch and i have a little bit of wine here so if i decide to move from tea i am i'm stocked up here at the table while we have our right. podcast I'm not sure what where my my heart will fall. It might do all three, actually. Why not? <laughs> but for now, I'm drinking tea because I'm probably meeting I'm meeting Trisha and her mother and her mother's friend, who we went to Vegas with. If you will recall, the four of us were in Vegas right. in um, the fall, and um, so we're going. To I'm impressed that that you went to Vegas on purpose. I know, you know, I, I really love it. I already want to go right back. I, I, I it's it, funny I either. Want... I think there's no middle ground on Vegas. People love <laughs> Vegas and they hate Vegas. Yeah, but I, there's I, not, I don't know anyone who's like lukewarm on Vegas. Yeah, I guess that's probably true. You know why I like it, don't you? Because it's 24 hours. And so you don't have to, you never miss anything. If you want to wake up and do something in the morning, you just do it in the morning. And if it, if you're all of a sudden at midnight, it's still open or two in the morning. If you sleep in till noon, you can still do stuff. Uh, I just, I just like it. I just All like right. it. You know, You're alive. I, I said before that to me, it's one of the most spiritual places on the planet because the illusion of Maya is very obvious. It's all money, sex, food, and gambling, right? So it's right there. It's not secret. It's not like a lottery ticket. It's actually gambling. <laughs> it's Great. not like a Ponzi screen scheme. You really are giving your money to the house. There's no secret. <laughs> and so yeah. if, if all of the world is an illusion, to me, it's fun to see that it's in a place where it's very obvious. Uh, you know, you know, what's funny about the Las Vegas thing um, Eugene is that when I was in Tennessee, Stag and I always watch RuPaul's Drag Race together. So he didn't watch it while I was gone, and I didn't watch it. 
we watched it. We, we binged the last, I think, three episodes when I got back. Um, and we just did that the other day. And I have been telling him I saw RuPaul's show in Vegas. And um, I was very, very curious. What's it going to be like? Who's going to be in the audience? And I tried. So we went. And so Trisha and I went to see RuPaul's Drag Race. And I wrote down some of the people. Derek Barry was in the show. If anybody watches RuPaul's Drag Race is a competitive show where you get eliminated every week. And what they've done is they've kind of recreated the vibe of the TV show for a Las Vegas show. On RuPaul's TV show, they have a thing called the pit crew. And the pit crew is hot guys in underwear, like in Speedos. And they come out and they do rudimentary um, support of the show. But on the Las Vegas, well, they'll bring out like they'll bring out like um, if there's a prize or a topic, Got it. they'll bring I a boss or something. They're like show models, uh, you know, spokesmodels. They're not really doing anything. But on the Las Vegas Review, they're professional, amazing dancers. It was such a brilliant idea that the pit crew be dancers. Um, and so on this review in Vegas is some of the people that have been on past seasons on TV. And they do a, a recreation, a fake kind of thing, imitating the TV show. And um, we saw Cameron Michaels. Uh, Asia O'Hara was the host. Uh, Derek Berry, who looks exactly like Britney Spears, like exactly more like it, because I believe they've done something to even add to their looks of Britney Spears. Maybe, maybe not, but they already naturally looked like her. Uh, who else was in the show? Uh, it was so great. The one that we saw was, um, oh, and Jada Essence Hall and Jan, just Jan. So it was really good. Just Jan. Okay. Yeah, just Jan. And so that was great. I was trying just to just. Just is her it. first name? Well, I think she's just Jan, Jan. And then she okay. goes, just Jan as a joke. Wow. Um, whenever he goes, Jan, and she was just Jan. And she kind of looks like one of the women from the Brady Bunch. She kind of looks like Jen from the Brady Bunch. Well, that's special. And a little bit like pink, too. Um, very cute. So I was trying to describe the stage to stay because it's, it's at the Flamingo Hotel. And they had those big round um, seats with the booths like you might see with um, Dean Martin and Frank Sinatra. And it's not that big of a theater. I'm going to say somewhere between 400 and 3,000 people. I should have looked it up before I told you about it. <laughs> um, but it feels intimate. Is that fair? Yeah. And one of the things I was really... And so anyway, so staying on the finale of RuPaul's Drag Race, the finale, the grand finale before, while they announced the winner, they did it at the Vegas stage on TV. Ah. The TV show went to the stage. So got I guess it. they well, could that, promote it. Yeah, of course, cross-promoting. Cross-promoting, but also I got to say staying. Now I don't have to describe it to you. And one of the things that Trish and I were really curious about was I was like, who's going to go to the show? And we guessed it'll be other women like us, you know, um, and then maybe it'll be a lot of gay guys. Maybe it'll be some drag queens. We weren't really exactly prepared for how mid-America, how standard, um, you know, you can judge a book by its cover if you're going to judge maybe a drag queen. Well, here I am judging ordinary Americans because there were some people there that choked me up. Just these guys who went along with their wives and their friends and they just looked like anybody anywhere, like a cowboy, big cowboy hat, cowboy boots with his wife. I'm like, okay, I did not expect that. That's so you didn't expect cool. that that drag had made it to the mainstream with a little help of the overall ambiance of Vegas. 
Yes, yes. And, uh, and the fact that everybody has to stream so much stuff during the pandemic that they've seen every episode. Well, it's probably true. And I just think it shows how maybe people are way more accepting and into it and the entertainment value. It's It has crossed over to maybe an audience that in the old times might not have watched it. Um, sure. It was pretty cool. Um, yeah, it was pretty cool. Plus, what's more drag than a cowboy outfit? <laughs> Because at heart, at heart, we all want to be in drag for something. It's fun to dress up. Yeah. Uh, you know, this season was the first time they had a hetero guy being in drag. Oh, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, it was very interesting. And they've... Uh, and There's the probably of, a whole... It's probably a thing, right? Hetero guys in drag. There's probably a whole thing. Maybe it is. Maybe it is because um, they had some good lines where they were like, you know, we found out that there's not one cookie cutter for being a drag queen. And yet we still think there's one cookie cutter for being a straight, you know, so it, that ties into my cowboys going to the show as well as this straight um, drag queen. And um, yeah, so it was pretty exciting. Um, Stag took a fit at the winner. He was not happy with RuPaul's choice. Oh no. Um, I had three people I was really into. I was really into, um, uh, Willow Pill, Lady Camden, and Angeria. I, I would have been happy if any of them won, but I was pretty sure Willow Pill would win because Rue kind of favored Willow Pill since the beginning, and Willow Pill was very cute. <laughs> so, and had a great name. Willow Pill, yep. Anyway, Stag was rooting for Lady Camden, and she didn't win, and Stag, I haven't seen him that mad since Canada beat the USA at the <laughs> in hockey <laughs> he was never going to watch it again <laughs> so we're pretty invested over here with our rupaul show yeah yeah well i have an embarrassing oh. story for you okay good i like those you know i was camping yes i do and i went to presqueo park and i want to just clarify that it's not the presqueo park presqueo state park on lake erie Oh, that's what no, Lisa no, thought. No. Hi, Lisa. I saw kind of. I, I saw that she said, "I love that park." Yeah. And I thought, I'll bet you she may. She may have thought that it's Presqueil State Park that I'm right. thinking of. Right. Um, but anyway, it's not. It's one in okay. Ontario, two okay. hours east of Toronto, near uh, Brighton, east of Coburg. Okay. Um, anyway, remember when I went camping? I was still recovering from my wreck knee, and I went camping up uh, around Mattawa. And I told the story on the podcast of uh, <laughs> leaving the cooler uh, underneath the the seat of the um, the picnic table, and the raccoons managed to get that yes, lid off anyway. Yes, and steal my of course cooler. they did. Well, when when I got to Presqueil, I parked. I got out of the car. You know, I set up my camp, I made dinner, I made sure I put the uh, the cooler and, and all my stuff back in the car because I wasn't going to be outwitted by some professional pesky <laughs> raccoon this time. Right. However, what right. I didn't realize <laughs> is that my driver's side window was open for him. Oh, shut up. Shut up. So, but four inches. A raccoon couldn't get in four inches, right? No, they could No. Yes, they so. can. Yes, yeah, the correct answer is yes. But here's what but how I did think they happened. Get on the glass? I figured that yeah. they had a family meeting <laughs> and they said, okay, Junior, it's I'll only four inches. We're too fat from eating all the camping food. We can't squeeze through. It's time for your first mission. 
Oh and my so God. I think they sent Junior to get in <laughs> because the next morning I I get up and I I gonna get the cooler out to make breakfast and the first thing I notice is that the lid is not on the cooler <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then I notice and then I notice that the meat that's in the cooler oh no has all been the bag is all ripped and it's Can all like wash it? is it all washed and instead of eating all of one thing they're like <laughs> eating a little bit of everything of course he wanted to have a, a well then i noticed meal. there was a pork chop on the driver's side floor <laughs> and there's there's raccoon footprints like on my fiddle case everywhere and because he went to the back because he discovered that i had in a bag a box of biscuits and they broke in and they had a little they had a little biscuit party well that's dessert that's dessert. Ate all the biscuits <laughs> ah, so i was outwitted for the second time by a professional <laughs> raccoon oh my god did you, have to, did you have to drive to town and have breakfast well i um i had enough food i could make breakfast i i because uh, they didn't get at my i had a package of um like lunch meat and a package of cheese that they didn't get. And oh he didn't get God. out my bread. Oh, my God. I was able to have a sandwich for breakfast. <laughs> and um, they didn't eat my salad. So I had a salad the next day oh, for dinner. And lunch the next salad. day, I yeah. went to the chip truck. Oh, good. Just outside the park. And I had uh, I had a cheeseburger and fries. Oh, I bet it was lovely. Oh, it was actually very good. Yeah. With the bun? Uh, so... That happened. Yeah, that happened. <laughs> oh my god, that's right up there with your mouse condo and your fishing jacket. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's Eugene's camping disasters. This is uh, part sixteen. I, I put uh, that's one for the raccoon, zero for Eugene. That's now it's one two for the mouse and zero <laughs> for Eugene. <laughs> so it's like wildlife three, Eugene nothing. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, um, while I was there, one of the highlights was I saw piping plovers. Oh, yeah. Nice. Piping plovers are endangered species. From what? Um, I didn't know. I've learned since all about piping plovers. Okay, so Wednesday, I go to... They they have these romantic names for the beaches at Presqu'il. Oh. Beach one. <laughs> beach two. They need to hire us poets to name yeah. them. Beach three. That's so I went a... to beach one. Yeah. And... You get to this beach and it's this really flat, broad beach, mm-hmm. sort of packed sand. There's hardly anyone on it because it's still May. There's one family are having a little picnic on the beach. And I could see there's a couple of families of geese. There's families of geese everywhere at Presque Isle. Um, And so I just go for a walk on the beach, but I can see that there's nothing on this beach. Mm-hmm. Well, a piping plover is only a little bit bigger than a sparrow. Uh-huh. And yes. they're they're the color of beach sand with a black bar that could be like a little beach rock uh, on, on their neck and another black ring on the top of their head and slightly orange uh, beak and orange feet. And what they do for a living is they walk around the beach looking absolutely adorable. Aww. Well, in... Who's hurting them? Well, I'll tell you. Back yeah. in the um, the beginning of the 20th century, there was something like 70 nesting pairs in Ontario. Oh. 
which that's not, that's not a lot. It's not no. very many. No. And it started to decrease. Um, apparently, some people were hunting them and also gathering their eggs. And they, they lay, every time they mate, they lay four eggs. Okay. And their nests are like perfectly flat beach and there'll be like a little rock and a stick. And they hide behind the rock and the stick and that's their nest. Okay. So I saw nesting, nesting plovers. <laughs> yeah. um, in 1977 was the last year anyone saw a plover in Ontario for a seriously long time. And mm -hmm. it was believed that, that there were no more in Ontario. And wow. for 30 years, no one saw a piping plover in Ontario oh. until 2007. I believe it was on Sauble Beach, somebody saw a piping plover and everybody got excited and they're, they're protecting it. Yeah. Um, and they've been coming back. So it, at Presqu'il, the birds come first. So one of the, the requirements, one of the things that, that, that sort of helps speed their um, almost extinction in Ontario um, is that humans like beaches, but humans don't like beaches that have algae and sticks and stones. So in a lot of parks, they rake the beaches. Oh. And that wrecks the plover habitat. Mm. So at Presqu'il, they don't wreck, they don't rake any beaches uh, until after the mating cycle is done. And they also get thousands of other shorebirds that appear as well. So they only selectively rake beaches and they leave some for the plovers. Uh -huh. And there's one sensitive area at a place called Owen Point where you can hike in. I did. Uh, yeah. And you get to an area where there's long grasses and it's kind of marshy and you can walk through to just a little lookout and that's all you could see because they don't want any of that area disturbed. Right. Um, so the, the main shorebird that I saw was the, the piping plover um, and also uh, some solitary uh, sandpipers. Uh, but I think a little bit later in another week or so, there's going to be a lot more. And I was there on Wednesday, I saw the plovers and then I thought I'm going to go back at dawn on Thursday to see if there's any more interesting action on this beach. So I show up at dawn. There's no humans there. Um, but when I get there, this very same beach, there's an area the size of a football field in the upper part of the beach that has been roped off. And there's signs that say endangered species, um, mm -hmm. respect the plover nests. And you can walk past it on the water side. Okay. There's there's just like maybe a six foot area you could walk along and they ask you to just not go through the roped area and to not disturb the plovers. So they're trying to bring them back. Uh, when I posted about this on our Facebook uh, page, um, one of the friends of the podcast, uh, Hobie, uh, pointed to an article about um, what's going on at, at Sauble Beach, yeah. where the new mayor decided that it wasn't bringing in enough tourists because they weren't raking the beaches. Let's rake those beaches, clean it oh, up and dear. bring in the tourists. Yeah. Right. So that's what they were yeah. doing. And like Jaws. Yeah. And so that's going to wreck the habitat there. Oh, no. And so now there's a lawsuit to try to protect the birds on Sauble Beach um, because of this mayor who's decided that humans having a nice raked beach is more important than the existence on the planet of a species of bird. Right. Right. Okay. I don't have much use for that mayor personally. No. What do they have a name? <laughs> no, I don't know. I, 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 I saw the name and down I, with that mayor. 
I, I didn't write it down or anything. Yeah. So that was definitely a highlight seeing this no endangered kidding. bird and they're super cute. I've posted pictures on our, on our site. They're just these little things and they've got like these long orange legs and they, they kind of just run around a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Really cute. They're not too scared. You can get reasonably close, like 40 feet or so right. without really getting them scared or anything like that. <clears throat> so before, the before they, they, roped it off yeah. i was just walking on the beach and there would be i'd see one in front of me and he yeah. just kind of keep around that 30 to 40 foot distance so that was um, one of the highlights another highlight um were the warblers and what happens there is the the migration of the warblers north uh apparently happens largely at night they do the flights over the lake at night and they stop at um, at Presqu'ile because it juts so far out into Lake Ontario. It's a place that they can rest. Mm. And there's a lighthouse right at the tip, and hundreds of maybe thousands of warblers, you know, stop there every day. So when I was there one morning, I showed up at like seven in the morning after leaving the beach. Mm. Uh, I went up to the the lighthouse. And there were warblers everywhere, as well as Baltimore Orioles everywhere. I was even able to photograph two Baltimore Orioles together on the ground, which is something I've never cool. seen before. Yeah. So that was very cool. Uh, another thing that was, um, that was new for me there is when I was last at, at Presqu'ile, it was the flood year. Do you remember that year when um, maybe it was 2017 or 2018, something like that, when um, <clears throat> all the like Lake Ontario was was so high? Mm -hmm. um, probably mm -hmm. the water in Chicago was really high that year, yeah. too. Uh, just really high floods everywhere. Well, they have a marsh boardwalk, which is very cool at Presqu'ile, but it was closed when I was last there because, well, you would have to. Um, walk the boardwalk underwater because so much water but it was open this time and it's a kilometer long walk through a marsh and the boardwalk just zigzags way out and about around different parts of the marsh and then it comes to a sandbar and you you kind of get off the boardwalk onto dry land and it's a mini forest on the sandbar going back towards the the parking area. So that was very cool. Another highlight, I would say. Hmm. Any other birds? Well, yes, there were lots of uh, woodpeckers, downy woodpeckers and hairy woodpeckers. I had a hairy woodpecker in the uh, at, around the campsite all the time I was there. Hmm. Um, and as well, I had my own personal blue jay that was um, perched more often than not on a birch tree, which was one of the trees I tied my hammock to. And he <laughs> perched there so he could shit on the fly of my hammock <laughs> about 30 times. And he probably was thinking, this guy has to hang off of my toilet. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> he set up his hammock in my... Uh, I saw wild turkeys. Oh, and several of them and i saw three young deer one morning nice. that was very nice um did you do any fishing no i didn't do any fishing and i you know i was going to do some drawing but i was going to ask um you know when i'm out there looking at birds i was more interested in looking at birds than yeah. sitting down and drawing so i i although i had my 
tools of the trade there. Yeah. I ended up not doing it. And in the afternoon, I would go back. I would get up super early in the morning and then go back in the afternoon, have lunch, have a little nap, and then go back out birding again. Nice. Seems well, you totally also, civilized to me. You also had to like clean up that car. <laughs> oh, God. Yes, it's very embarrassing. <laughs> I thought maybe I shouldn't I shouldn't tell the embarrassing story, but you know, oh, I've taken oh, one should. for the team here. You should. You should. I wish I had one for you. I don't really. So you know the other thing I did in the afternoon between naps. Yeah. Is I read a novel. Oh, wow. What a nice yeah. holiday you've had. Yeah, I started reading this before I left and uh and finished it there. Um I was looking around for something to read and Wherever I was, I was near a bookstore and wandered into a bookstore. And I thought, I'm going to find the next book I'm going to read. And I stumbled into a display with Patricia Highsmith books. <laughs> well, yeah, I've yet to read a, a Patricia Highsmith book uh, I didn't like. Right. For listeners who don't know her work, she wrote the Ripley novels, which several right. movies were based on. And... Uh, I saw a book with the unlikely title of The Tremor of Forgery. Mm, good name. And there was some comment on it that Graham Greene said it was her best book, her oh. finest work. Oh. So I thought, okay, I'll read that. Yeah. And it was a most interesting book. I have to say, okay, uh, fascinating. Wow, it's tell a, us all about it. I will, in fact. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a story about a fellow named Howard who's a writer he writes novels and he meets this guy named John through his girlfriend in New York <clears throat> his girlfriend uh, does work for CBS writing <laughs> and it's set in 1967 I believe um, written in 1969 and uh, so Howard meets this guy, John, and John wants to do a low-budget film based in Tunisia. And he gives this guy, Howard, a thousand bucks and a plane ticket to Tunisia and says, you could go get the lay of the land. I'm going to meet you there in a couple of weeks. And you can write as we go. And we're going to do this on a low budget with local actors. Uh, <clears throat> it'll be fun. So he goes there. He shows up in Tunisia. And the backdrop is, um, oh, what was that war? The Six-Day War, the Israeli-Arab War. Uh, so there's, at the time, there's a certain amount of backlash towards uh, Americans in Arab countries, and uh, Tunisia is an Arab country in North Africa. Mm -hmm. uh, and as well, um, there's... Um, I would say there's a highlighted distrust of people who are different than you, mm. both from the, the, the point of view of the Arab community there and from foreigners. And we're going to meet various foreigners in the, in the book. Mm -hmm. uh, but this guy, Howard, he's just trying to get the lay of the land and he's waiting for a word from John and he doesn't hear from John and he doesn't hear from his girlfriend and he writes them and he tries to phone them. And he doesn't hear from them. Um, and it seems that 
His girlfriend was busy having an affair with John back in New York, but ultimately rejected him. And so she had given him the keys to Howard's apartment and asked him to like water the plants or something. But instead he went there and committed suicide (gasps) and no one is told Howard. So he's waiting for someone to show up to make this film and there's no one there. Oh no. So he's, it takes weeks before he, he hears any word as to what, what's going on. So initially he's very cool towards the girlfriend until she doesn't contact him. And then he's very critical and anxious. Uh, and meantime, so he's sort of like taken out of his, his normal environment and he's kind of like put into a different culture. And during a time of some anxiety, especially once he finds out what's happened and he meets two people, one guy named Adams and one guy named Jensen and Adams is a really bizarre guy. He starts referring to him as Howard refers to this guy, Adams as owl for our way of life, because he has this secret job being paid by anti-communists in Russia to create pro-American broadcasts to be sent into Russia. So sort of American propaganda being so done some from things never change. Yeah. Right. So this guy's got like a, a secret setup in his closet. And then there's this other guy, Jensen. And Jensen is Danish and he's an artist. He's a painter mm-hmm. um, and he's gay. And when they meet, Jensen makes a pass at Howard, but everything's cool. Howard's not interested. Oh, maybe Howard's interested. We're not sure, but Howard rejected the pass. Uh, and he really likes Jensen and they become friends. So he has sort of two friends who are polar opposite. One uh, on the Christian right and the other on the atheist left. Mm-hmm. Um, and this guy is influenced in a way by both of them. Um, and then two events happen. One event that happens is he's leaving Jensen's place and Jensen lives within the Arab community and and, uh, Howard's living in a bungalow attached to a luxury hotel. So he's on his way back and he trips on something in an alley and it's a body that's had its throat slit. And he thinks, oh, it's a body and it's had its throat slit. I should go report this. But he doesn't. He doesn't report it. Then... There's these guys kind of skulking around trying to rob the rich tourists because the rich tourists have money and they have nothing, like nothing. Uh Uh, Uh And there's this one particular guy who's always hanging around and he's pretty sure that he's robbed his bungalow before. So he forgets to lock his door one night and in in the dead of night, he hears the door open. And he doesn't know what it is. Someone's breaking into his place. So he picks up a typewriter, his typewriter that he writes with, and he hurls it at this guy and whacks him in the head. And the guy falls down and Howard slams his door shut and locks the door and does nothing else. And after a little while, he can hear the sound of somebody dragging away a body. So the local kids who work at the hotel have dragged away the body. And the next day, they all deny knowledge that anything happened. 
Mm. Except Adams is asking a lot of questions. And finally, Mm. someone starts answering questions and says, you know, it happened on this guy's porch. And he starts, he starts saying, come on, you better fess up. What really happened? What really happened? Did you throw something at that guy? Mm-hmm. Um, and he doesn't want to admit anything and he didn't report anything and no one's telling anything. So what you're seeing in the book is you're seeing kind of a moral shift from a kind of a surety of this American tourist and writer to a kind of moral ambiguity. And he becomes more and more attracted to the lifestyle that his friend Jensen is living. Mm. Um, and then he hears from the girlfriend and the girlfriend's going to come visit. Mm-hmm. And that's without giving away all that, all that happens. That, that's the kind of book that it is. It's slow in a way mm-hmm. in that nothing much happens. Mm-hmm. Although the pages fly in the book. Uh, it's more to me like an existential novel than like a mystery thriller. Right. And like um, in, I think, all of Highsmith's books, she examines stereotypes. She examines different sexuality. um, She examines moral ambiguity and alienation. um, But there's not like an obvious murder. I mean, yes, he did kill this guy, but it's right. There's a lot of gray area around what, what happened, right? A lot of moral ambiguity around it. So Mm. fascinating book. As we see, basically it's, it's a book about this guy who begins to question himself, how he's living, how he wants to live, what he should believe, who he should love. And all those things as an adult are coming into question for him in this exotic place in, in Tunisia. So uh, that's the book, 1969 novel by Patricia Highsmith. And oh, at the same time, he starts writing a novel. And when he starts to get to this morally ambiguous area where weird things start to happen and he starts being more attracted to Jensen's kind of bohemian lifestyle, he starts writing better. And so he starts writing this novel. And his working title for the novel he's writing is The Tremor of Forgery. And he calls it that because he had read somewhere that forgers, the way you tell a forged signature is there's often a bit of a tremor at the beginning or the end of the signature. Um, So it's like a telltale sign. Uh, It's a very, very interesting novel within a novel, uh, a book that in which not much happens, uh, but in which a lot happens for this person, this individual. Um, And it examines different political points of view, uh, different ways of different cultures, different ways of looking at the world and living in the world. Pretty fascinating. I'm going to highly recommend it along with everything else I've read by Patricia Highsmith. Right. Very good. How many pages is it about? Well, let me just check. I have it in front of me. Thanks. And it Thanks. is uh, 289 pages. Oh, so it's a pretty small novel, average. Yeah, like average size novel. Yeah. And then I have another one I'm about to start, I just started, by Henry Porter. It's a British spy novel called A Spy's Life. And it's a story about about a guy who uh, is working for the UN doing some innocuous job and uh, his plane crashes into the East River and he's the only survivor. And it turns out he was a spy like 20 years earlier. And 
whatever happened with this plane crash, it has everything to do with his past. Mm. So looks like it'll be an interesting kind of spy thriller. And uh, I'm up for one of those. Good. Uh, I was watching Spycraft on Netflix. It was kind of fun. Just They just do animation of all these weird ways that people have spied. Um, I don't know if you watched it or not. It's kind of no, entertaining. Like one thing was... Uh, just the contraptions that they've created for spy. It's a little bit like, you know, Q on 007. And one time they put, how they would wire the, the uh, Russian embassy for sound. They put wires into every room in the Russian embassy. Um, in, in the, I guess it was DC, I think. And then how they had it, all the wires drop through this um, vent in the roof and go out into the sewer. And a young guy would catch these wires and make them, be able to be listened to it was so crazy another was that they sent a couple of guys down to the bottom of the ocean off of russia you know between russia and alaska i think that's where it was because they had um a military base that was communicating all their submarine activity to the kremlin and they had a cable under the ocean so they tapped that cable like 400 wow. feet down the ground and they just sent guys to walking in pitch darkness to uh wiretap that cable the crazy things those madcap spies do huh i know and that we don't even know what's happening it's all secret yeah it's all secret yeah um i got a little bit of a meatloaf recipe here all right is this yours or did Um, it come from one of our listeners no it came from came from a friend of the podcast and um down in tennessee doug and I've got to, he, he texted it to me because that was the easiest way for him to communicate it. So I'll just read his text, okay? Yeah. All right. So here it is. I'm scrolling back. I was trying to, when we were calling, I was trying to print it on the computer so I could read it bigger than small text. But as we are, here we go. He says it's not really a recipe. It, I'll gladly send it to you, but it's not specific. And I think that's a lot of our meatloaf recipes are like that anyway. I just throw in some of this and some of that, whatever is on hand. (laughs) Basics are (laughs) one pound, good quality ground beef, Angus preferred. That's pretty specific. Um, One half to one pound ground pork or pork sausage, one diced sauteed onion, two eggs, one and three quarter cup Italian breadcrumbs. For it's very specific for a guy who doesn't have a recipe. That's, I know, that's I a, love a recipe. It. It's lovely. Thank you, Doug. It's actually pretty good. Thank we you, can Doug. go right from here. Right from here, we can go. Yeah, whatever kind you've got on hand. I've used crushed saltines in a pinch. Sure. Oh, what a good idea. Um, some salt, pepper, ketchup, barbecue sauce, Worcester sauce, tomato paste, A1 or other steak sauce, garlic powder, dried oregano, Grated Parmesan. Oh, I've never I, never, I ate this meatloaf. It was really good. I didn't realize he put Parmesan in it. Parmesan's a Basically, nice touch. It, that would add a, uh, you would use less salt when you add the Parmesan and it yeah, would add a, little, a certain character to it. Umami character to it, I would yeah. think. Um, so basically whatever you want to throw in. Well, I think that sounds pretty good. Mix it all together, throw it in a loaf pan or bunt pan. Remember I told you last, a couple of weeks yeah. ago when I was in Tennessee, he put it in a bunt pan. So this is what he made that night. Uh, bake at about 350 until it's done to your liking. You can make a glaze with some ketchup, honey, brown sugar, a bit of mustard and or balsamic something or other. Spread on top. That's how baking. I look at, at, at glazes too. Like put, <laughs> make a glaze with some stuff you have in the cupboard. That's right. And, you know, broiler for a couple or three or four minutes to caramelize a bit. 
it's all like a freehand sketch. Actually, sometimes I lay a few slices of bacon on it top too. Sometimes I add some grated or diced cheddar or other cheese. Oh, that sounds so good. If I'm not feeding spice sensitive folks, maybe a can of diced chilies, whatever, mm -hmm. run with it. It's basically my mom's recipe with interesting stuff added. Hers was just ground beef, egg, ketchup, crumbs, salt, pepper. And I, and if I, if she was feeling adventurous, onion. <laughs> so he grew up on a, I think, a bunch of kids, uh, brothers and sisters, maybe in a rural community. So, you know, I guess it was pretty humble. Good old meatloaf. I like the bacon and cheese. I want them both. Yes, please. Well, yeah. Yeah. You know, like your uh, it's not necessary to have bacon on meatloaf, but it just is good. <laughs> There's no questioning good. it. Right. Yeah. Especially when you put the glaze on the bacon. And then <laughs> as the bacon crisps and the glaze caramelizes, it right. just turns into bacon candy. Right. Now, how am I going to make that without the breadcrumbs? I've never put breadcrumbs in my meatloaf, but it does crumble a bit. It crumbles a bit. Well, um, I would chop in some celery. Right, but that's not going to hold it. Like the breadcrumbs are binding, right? The egg is going to do it. The okay. egg's going to bind yeah. it. All It'll right. be that's okay. Enough. Yeah, it's not. Um, right. But yeah, you need to add something else. So it's not just like this thick chunk of meat. Well, I think you need to add something else. I would add... Uh, I would consider mushrooms and um, you know, what would be really nice is if you had a black fungus, very nice mm -hmm. uh, or any mushrooms, really uh, celery uh, chopped up, chopped up chilies are fine. Mm -hmm. uh, and just pretend you, you put in the, the breadcrumbs already. Exactly. Really so what if it breaks apart a little bit? It's not, not going to break apart. It's not going to make a super nice slice. Like use two eggs instead of one egg for extra yeah. binding power. Mm -hmm. You'll be fine. Well, how about keto bread? I bought keto bread. What is keto bread? Keto Made bread, it a beef? It has no uh, carbs in it and has no gluten. It's hardly any point. Well, you know what? It wasn't bad because um, my friend upstairs had said that he makes grilled cheese with it because he misses grilled cheese when he's on a diet. So I did get some so I could make a grilled cheese. Um, it was interesting. And I made the grilled cheese, actually, I switched to a mayonnaise grilled cheese. Instead of using butter, using mayonnaise. With the keto bread, it was pretty good. Um, Seems to me, yeah, Candy, that if yeah. you, if you um... <laughs> avoided that, I'd lose weight. <laughs> if you put... I, know, I know where you're going. <laughs> I, never mind. It sounds delicious. <laughs> well, no, tell me what were you gonna say? Um, no, I was just gonna say that um just what you just what you said is yeah. that you know, yeah. Well, I if, if you have if you have I you could take you could take uh <laughs> plywood, a thin strip or thin strip of masonite and yeah. melt cheese um yes on it and with mayonnaise. And it would be delicious. Yes. Just a little bit extra crunchy. Right? Keto bread is great. It's just an unusual texture. Yeah. And it's almost like a dark rye bread, to be fair. It's, it's, um, it is unusual. I'm not used to it, but um, yeah. Stag ate it. And he loved it. <laughs> you know, you know that really dense, dark German rye yeah, bread? It. Yeah, I love it. I really want to like it. Oh, you like, don't? I just it? like oh. conceptually, I love the oh. idea. Yeah. I love the feel of it. I love the smell of it. Yes. But then I have it and I go, yeah, 
Yeah. Not enough flavor. It's got the flavor. It's got intense flavor. Yeah. What it doesn't have is that chewy texture. Instead, it has this, you know, it's like having um, like a tort instead of a cake. Yeah. You know, it's just, yeah, yeah, you could do it if you really wanted to, I guess. Right. Well, oddly, I don't, I'm not really missing bread right now. I'm surprised because I I was eating toast and peanut butter and stuff. So I, I'll. I also thought the keto bread, I could have it as a toast with tea and Marmite or something and, or peanut butter. Um, but I'm really, I'm oh, doing you it. You consume okay Marmite? I love it. Do you really? <laughs> I really do. I That's think you have to kind of grow up. I think you have to grow up with it to like it. Uh, yeah. Or be British. Is that a British <laughs> thing? Yeah, yeah, it is from the UK. I guess that's how I know about it. My mom lived there when she was 18. She worked in Britain for two years, and I guess she got into all their food. She was so it's really like a there. yeast product, is it not? It is a brewer's yeast, not just yeast, brewer's yeast. So it's got a lot of vitamin B, and um, yeah, it's B is a beer. Taste. Yeah, yeah, beer is B is a beer. Yeah, no, I love it, but it's not for everyone. Yeah, I've never Dang. been a big fan Dang. of the, the Marmite. And the other, the other spready thing that I'm not really a fan of is what do you call that hazelnut spread? Nutella. Nutella. Yeah, yeah. I'm just not a Nutella fan. Oh my god, I used to love Nutella. I don't like it anymore because it's not chocolatey enough. But when I was, um, I went to Paris with my with my school, and for breakfast they gave us a huge bowl of hot milk, and sometimes chocolate milk with french baguette with nutella and butter on it and it was to die for when you're 15 oh it was to die for it was incredible i could see it yeah Um, i when i was growing up there was there was one friend of mine um ate nutella and they were big nutella eaters and and i tried it at his place once and and I, you know when you're when you're a kid and you just don't instantly take to a flavor well that's it you just that's i hate it I hate so it. It takes but, years to overcome I, that. I just thought it was so amazing to put chocolate on bread. I thought it was mind-blowing. I loved weird. it. But it's really and hazelnut, the butter and, isn't it? Is there chocolate yeah, as well not as chocolate? I thought it was chocolate. And Maybe there's bread. cocoa as well as hazelnut in it. Cocoa, yeah. If anyone is a, then, an expert on Nutella out there, <laughs> theagency.podcast at gmail.com. Right. We need some schooling on right. the hazelnut the spreads. was amazing was that the bread was so incredible because, well, it was baguette made in Paris. Um, we were staying in a boys' dormitory. I think I've told you that before. Empty. They were on holiday. It was in April. And um, they the butter was insane. It was to die for. It was like I'd never eaten butter before in Canada. It was so good. You know, when you travel, how things taste so great. Of course. Somewhere else. It's so exciting. So that was it. I would never use margarine again after that. It's amazing. What else? I have some other notes here. Oh, um, did yeah. you see the last uh, winning time? I did not see the last winning time. You can tell me about it, though. It's okay. Well, I, I, uh, I recommend it because now I don't know if that's the end of the season or the end of the show right. or, or right. what. But it's it's all around the final game oh. uh, of the of the season for the the championship of the the known universe. Right. Uh, and I got to say that. Uh, the actors who played 
uh, Magic and Kareem really excelled in this this episode, um, as did as did um, the the guy who um, who played um, Spencer Haywood, uh, who was the guy who got kicked off the team because he was a junkie. Um, right. And that's played by the same actor. Um, what's his name? Wood. Um, oh, help me, Candy. He I played. Uh, he played uh, uh, in the Wire as um, as the main bad guy who worked with uh, Stringer Bell. Um, All right, winning time. Winning time. I can't help it I when know, I can't remember I'm, actors. Keep going because I'll find the actor. Okay. Um, yeah. Anyway, all the actors really put in uh, fantastic uh, performances uh, in this episode, yes. and um, it's really punctuated by Jason Clark's hilarious performance as uh, as Cherry West. Yeah, I thought his head was going to explode during the final game. It was really <laughs> wonderful. Uh, he did a great job, and you know, as as flawed as the series is. And as much as it disturbs me that nobody on the uh, the Showtime Lakers is endorsing the show in any way, uh, Spencer um, Haywood is. Oh, is he? Yeah. Oh, okay. He said it's a blessing. So that's nice. interesting. Yeah. Nice, yeah, because I think he's cleaned up his act since. Okay. You know, and he does. He doesn't look. He doesn't come off very well in this because he's somebody who's in the midst of serious drug addiction. Right. Uh, but he the actor does a super good job. Um, and uh, I, I thought it, it as flawed as the series was, it really ended very, very well. Um, and it was, it was fun and it was pretty impressive. I'm going to yeah. recommend it overall. Um, oh. But just keep in mind that, that um, you know, uh, Kareem and Magic are not endorsing this show. That's true. Yeah, like maybe they wanted some money too. Well, or maybe they at least wanted a phone call <laughs> to say, "Hey, let's talk about what happened." You would think, wouldn't you think that they'd have contacted yes. them? And I'd have yes. thought that, but I think yes. they based it on a book, and it just becomes about TV and like that. Right. So Wood Harris, played Wood Harris, that's his name. Avon Barksdale. Yes, Barksdale. Yes, Avon. Yes. Avon, Man, sorry. sometimes like names really yeah. elude me as the brain cells fall out my ears. Well, that's okay. As every as day as I, I get older, a hundred thousand brain cells every day fall out my ears. It's okay, and but as soon as I'll find those names, I'll murder them for you. I'll mispronounce them, so it's going to be just fine. <laughs> what did I say instead of Avon? I said Avon. I like Avon. Avon sounds cool. <laughs> Avon's good too. Um, speaking of the wire. I've almost called you and texted you to walk me through We Own the City because I'm really confused sometimes. What is going on? There's this sense of, you know, that for, did we talk about the first episode yet? I think we talked a little bit about it. A little bit about where I told you I just was hanging onto the edge of my chair, gripping it. It was so stressful. So I'm on about, I think I'm on episode three right now. Yes. And, um, in the first episode, they introduce the cop who's played by John Berthal, and then they show all of a sudden a cop on the street, and he knocks the booze out of that guy's hand after he buys it. Is that the same cop at old? Well, what happens is they... they 
in go the first back and episode. forth in time I know. with this character. They go to when he's just a rookie. Mm-hmm. And then when he gets onto this task force and they whip back and forth in time. Right. And they also um, do the same thing with the guy who was part of his squad, but goes on to decide well, he doesn't want to be a bad cop and he becomes a detective. Okay. I haven't got there yet, I don't think. Oh, maybe I have. Yeah, the yeah, played by the, the guy who played Marlo. Yeah, Marlo. Okay, right. Exactly. Okay. So my this episode three, what did get what got me on this one was they take the guy from in treatment and the good wife. I forgot his name, John or Josh. And they put him, they take him out of the squad where he's beating up people and robbing them or whatever. And they put him in a car and the intensity of double crossing and secret things that they do, they go on this, they're going to go round up all the guns and be more. Okay. So they've, they're tra- tracing where these guns are. Meanwhile, two of the guys with them are the guys that robbed the guns in the first place in the middle of the night on episode one or two. You know, those guys that pull up, they didn't know they were being on a stakeout. There are two cops. There's three cops. They go into the drug dealer or whatever's house He's not home and they take his guns and money. They're now in the backseat of this guy that's supposedly, you know, rounding up all the guns in the, in the city. It's so crazy level on level of, 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 of robbery, of, of robbery. But <laughs> I almost need to do a, I need it's to have a chart. A I, you almost have to, to map it out, especially because it whips back and forth in time. It's, yes. it's kind of hard to keep track of, of right. what the heck is going on. Right. Suffice it to say that the, the city Mandarins are become kind of aware that this guy Jenkins is yeah. really a problem. Oh yeah, because Jenkins, do you mean Wayne Jenkins? Yeah. Yes. Played by John Barenthal. Yeah, he right. they, they know he's a problem. They know he's a problem and they've they've arrested all the whole bunch of them. And a lot yes. of it is well, it through their testimony, him. right? The other guys are ratting out what hap- really happened. Right. And then you find out other points of view from the woman who's like with the anti-racist group working with the police. Like right. she's, she gives you a different perspective on what's going on. Oh yeah, she's lovely. Josh Charles is his name from The Good Wife and from In Treatment. So Josh Charles, sorry, I just want to remember this. He gets put in with the sergeant who is going to clean up the guns while they go into the, one of the apartments of, of the guys that have been in cahoots to rob guns. While no one's looking, the sergeant, unbeknownst to everybody else, puts money from the yes, shoebox. He, he, yes, and he doesn't share. Not he only is he, is he stealing, he's yes. not sharing the booty he's with his sharing. buddies. I'm like, the, the, the backstabbing layers of crime are ridiculous. Well, yes. And then I think the most recent episode, the one guy who's saying like, look, I was really wrong. I did really bad things. Right. Um, but he explains that, you know, we went too far with this particular robbery. Mm-hmm. And the question, the question becomes, well, um, what um, what it, what do you mean too far? You mean it would be okay if you just did a little bit? And he's yeah, yeah, because everyone's <laughs> doing it. Yeah, a little bit's right. fine, but this was just too much. Right. I don't know, man. So, so if the wire, the the, the it was not the tag name of the wire, but it's what David Simon said was he was portraying the mess. The tagline would have been America is broken. 
So what is it now? If this is the spiritual sequel that someone said of um, The Wire, what is it now? Broken, broken? Well, you know, it just shows you real life is, is even more messed up than, than The Wire could fictionalize it. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty bad. Yeah, but it, it's also, I would say, the best show streaming on television right now. I, I agree. It's mind blowing. It's yeah. Brilliant. Now that Tokyo Vice is done for the season, a Tokyo Vice. I love very, Tokyo very Vice. I'm there very for the next good. season of Tokyo Vice. Believe oh me. Yeah. Um, yeah. But also, this is a fabulous show. It's it's intelligent. It presents different points of view, like The Wire in that way. Yes. Um, yes. The acting is just top rate. The writing's top rate, and it's just so unbelievable that these cops are acting like gun thugs. Just yeah. total, with total reckless yeah. abandon. Yeah. And I, I guess that's it, that the lines, they were able to delineate, delineate, separate the lines. They had journalism in the wire. They had cops in the wire. They had education in the wire. They had justice. This, there's no line. They can't categorize it anymore. It's all crossed over. And oh yeah, it's, it's a, the whole, I mean, this whole guns task force, guns and drugs task force is a complete mess. I mean, these guys have been given license to basically tax all the crooks. Yeah, I don't think that they should arrest anybody for the drugs. They should leave it alone. Leave the guns, leave the drugs alone. Well, in The Wire, we saw Amsterdam. And that that's, that's maybe the... Um, well, that's the opposite approach, but that's the uh, the nth degree opposite approach. Maybe there's yeah. a middle ground in there. Yeah. I don't know. You know, Portugal has uh, has completely decriminalized narcotics, mm -hmm. and you know their society hasn't crumbled in the few years right. that that's happened. Right. Amazingly enough, it's still right. about the same as it always has been. Right. Um, except maybe they aren't throwing people in prison who have addictions. Well, and, you know, I've said this a couple of times, and right now, more important than anything, there's absolutely no correlation between crime rate and police. Doesn't matter how many police they are, it doesn't have anything to do with crime rate. What it does have to do with in the United States, the only correlation that the that Levitz could find on Freakonomics was allowing women to decide whether or not they could raise children. And they said, it's not a palatable, it's not a delicious answer, but the truth is, is a woman knows if she can raise her kids or not, or is she going to raise criminals? Hmm. And she should be allowed. Yeah, the crime rate dropped after Roe versus Wade. And Freakonomics said that the criminals simply weren't born. Ah, that's interesting. Okay. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's not a nice, it's not a, it's not an easy to sit with um, correlation, but it is... You know. I, I tell you, sitting up here in Canada, and we have a lot of the same problems as the United States, but maybe not as amplified and as in your face as we're seeing in the United States. But, you know, we see this kind of love of gun culture mm -hmm. on the one hand. And then in the last week, there's been, what, three mass shootings in America? Yeah. Right. And Terrible. it's like, oh, yeah, thoughts and prayers. Let's move on. Yeah. Because nobody actually wants to change anything where you'll hear platitudes like guns don't kill people, people kill people. Yes. You know, yeah. never mind that in, in countries where um, they've been able to reduce the number of guns, they also managed to reduce the number of killings. 
Because mm-hmm. it's harder to kill people without guns. Yes, it is. And also you have a country that has not dealt with itself. It's not doing any of the healing work. It's not doing any reparations. It's not a. It's not dealing with slavery. It has not dealt with it, nothing. It's, um, you know, there's many people that feel like the new slavery is the NFL. Um, it's not dealing with... It's not dealing with its problems, apologizing, anything. Um, no, so, and there's also the ugly specter of the, of the far right. Um, and we see it here in Canada, too. Um, you know, when we had that so-called truckers convoy, uh-huh. um, you know, you would see the guys with the Confederate flags and the Nazi flags and all the people that everybody knows are racist. Mm-hmm. And then they'll talk to somebody leading the convoy and say, oh, they have nothing to do with us. Right. <laughs> and, oh, no, 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 no. We have nothing to do with them yeah. at all. Yeah, but they're, but this guy's going to be speaking at your event. Oh, yeah, well, they have nothing to do with us. Right. He has free well, the, speech. That's why he's people who paid for it are white, are white supremacists. They're well-known on the card-carrying white supremacists. So you know, end and of it's story. It's pretty scary and ugly, if yeah. you ask me. Yeah. It is scary. It is scary. Well, CISA said there are one million nationalists. In Canada? In Canada, yeah. So that means out of thir- how many people? 30 million people? 30 or 35 million, something like that. So every three and a half people, one of them is going to be a racist. Oh, a white nas- Or a white nationalist, white supremacist. I was under the illusion for a long time that it wasn't as bad up here. Well, apparently they counted one million. Because most of those people, you know, were so vilified that that they had to live under a log where they belong. Mm -hmm. And now with with Trump and the rise of the far right in Canada to some degree, these people feel emboldened to speak and right. to get get as show the the maximum amount of ugliness from their soul. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what the ratio is of um, of white supremacists in the United States. Um, I mean, I think it's higher than in Canada, but any is too many, <laughs> any is too many in Canada. Remember that house that used to be on Gerard and the Nazi lived in there and people, he had all the signs outside on it. And I guess people would just yell at him or ignore him. And he had all kinds of terrible, hateful things until it got addressed. It was always out there. Um, Yeah. It was, everyone knew where he lived on Gerard. You know, those, a lot lot of the problem too is that those people are really good at using the system and using good faith of the people around them yep. um, in order to uh, to really broadcast hate. Uh, when I was working for, for Canada Post, we had a problem uh, with um, a publication that was called Your, Your Ward News. And it was run by some racists uh, and haters, mm-hmm. uh, and they were mailing it mm. out to addresses in the East End. I would and, say that might be federal law violation. Yeah. Well, it it turns out that what the question of what is hate 
in, oh. in terms of law is not so cut and dry or not so easy. Mm -hmm. So um, we at Canada Post had the problem at the time of um, we felt that legally we had to deliver this hmm. uh, because nobody would prosecute them. Uh, and so our letter carriers, they didn't want to deliver it. And so they were upset. Um, the customers didn't want to receive it. They were upset. Hmm. And something changed legally. I'm not sure what exactly it was, hmm. but after that changed, then we stopped delivering it. Right. They stopped delivering. I shouldn't say uh, we because I don't work there anymore. Right. Um, and I certainly had no nothing to do with that decision in any right. case, to be clear. Right. Uh, but, um, you know, there are some people here who fought them uh, successfully. Warren, Warren Kinsella is one of them uh, who went after them uh, in the courts. Hmm. And good for him. Any relationship to the guy who wrote uh, Shoeless Joe? Oh, I have no idea. He's um, he's a, a a a political consultant. He helps people parties win elections. So, okay. um, you know okay, that so that whole world. Like a, those those sort of, sort of people in my world are like a fairly low form of life. Um, but <laughs> I guess someone's got to do they that do work. Something good. Yeah, I'm sure people yeah. do a lot of good uh, uh, supporting political parties. I shouldn't say that. Um, and and certainly uh, Mr. Kinsella was doing a lot of good uh, with what he was doing, um, fighting the Your Ward News. And I congratulate him yes. for that. And I really don't know anything about his consulting work. So I shouldn't say right. that. I shouldn't make so it. It sounds like Ontario's going to do something stupid and vote for Doug Ford again. Well, we haven't had an election yet. Okay, I hope um, that's not true. Uh, I know, I know. The polls are saying that it's going to be an easy victory uh, for Doug Ford. Um, I just can't, in my ever so tiny brain, I can't imagine anyone would vote for that that guy. But right. uh, you know, I don't even know what to say, uh, except that strategically, um, for me, I can get past whether it's the center left party or the left party that are in office either in my mind are better than Doug Ford. So <laughs> for me, yeah. I would like to see the NDP and the liberal mm -hmm. get together and run one or the other candidate in mm -hmm. every writing so right. that the votes for the, the left candidate are going to that candidate not being split. Mm -hmm. But I, you know, People get really tied down to their their issues, mm -hmm. um, but it doesn't matter how you slice the cake if the other guy wins. Yeah. And I'm. I'll say this: for part of the pandemic, I thought that Ford was managing okay. Yes. Um, I think he crashed and burned about halfway through it, mm -hmm. um, and. You know, he's running on um, on a platform of let's spend a huge amount of money building highways. Right. Uh, and I talked to a relative of mine recently who said, oh, yeah, this is great. I'm going to be able to drive from so-and-so to so-and-so really fast. Uh, so I'm voting for this guy. So for some oh. people who live outside of Toronto, mm -hmm. having these highways can really cut a lot of driving time. And so people like it. And that's what he's 
going after, right. I guess. Mm-hmm. But uh, I don't know. It's beyond me that that people would vote for that guy. Yep. Well, no. I would like to see the NDP refresh their leadership. Okay. In Ontario, uh, I don't think that uh, Andrea Horvath has been particularly effective, and mm-hmm. uh, the Liberal guy Stephen Del Duca. Well, no one even heard from him for half of Ford's mandate, right? He's just starting to get known. So. Um, for my part, I'm going to try to figure out in my writing which of the two left parties are more likely to uh, beat Ford, and I'll vote strategically. Right. I understand. Um, you know, I'll, 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 I'll be voting NDP. <laughs> uh, well, I understand that, and, and I, I, totally, I totally get it. And you. I also understand, I just don't enjoy the concept of voting strategically i don't it just doesn't sit well with me but i understand why so many but and Ford doesn't canadians, sit well with me more no i i understand that and with many canadians i do understand that it comes down to um to voting strategically you know election after election this comes up i do get it i do get it and yes, i guess it, it depends on what writing you live in it's easier on certain writings in your writing it would be probably better to vote liberal you know whereas if you live in um trinity it's okay to vote ndp it's uh you know sure. and again liberal will probably do because there's a chance of it of them being successful so i do understand that it, it comes down to where you live too you're in a very strong conservative neighborhood i think um this our federal our federal member of parliament is liberal and yeah. this used to be liberal provincially as well okay uh, but there was such a groundswell of hatred <laughs> towards Kathleen Wynne oh, that, I, I mean, I, I think it was like, uh, all you could hear is how horrible Kathleen Wynne was. And, and you know, I don't think she was so horrible, but- hmm. um, well, She's female. She's female. That's And that, that may again. be a big part of it. <laughs> I mean, I understand that female politicians on social media get attacked with oh. um, with a vengeance and an ugliness that's unimaginable. Yes, yes, I do. So I have a, a ton of respect for women who step up and say we need more representation of women right. in politics and, um, you know, are, are willing to, to take those sorts of risks because... I mean, who wants to have all that hate around them? No, not me. Not me. No, love, baby. Love. I, but for that, all those reasons, I could never be a politician, period. I, I would really, I would hate it a lot. I would, I would too. I watched the season finale of Julia. It has been picked up again for season two. And I enjoyed it. I understand why it got quiet there for a bit, as if they didn't have a plot. Which one um, was the season finale? Maybe I watched that one too. Um, ooh, I don't know. <laughs> I rest my case. Um, was it the one where he's sick with the flu? Yeah, he's got the flu. And right. uh, Bibi Neuerworth has to come and babysit him. Or right, and, and so she decides she's going to quit the show. She's going to quit the show. And then she decides, okay, I'm not going to quit the show. Right. I do believe it probably happened. Um, the James Beard episode was very good. 
tell me what happened with that they're in the car and he wanted her and and um her husband to go with him to like a summer home or something he's just very lonely huh well i i think he liked her company and he, he liked, liked her company he liked to be around food and wine and parties yeah, and yeah. drag yeah i didn't realize i didn't know anything about james beard so Neither it was I, very really. interesting kind of good it was very sweet wasn't it and oh. bittersweet because she had to go home she hadn't been around her house or with her husband for a while so she had to go do that as opposed to uh, partying with James Beard. So the one show that I've been following um, that you really need to find a way to get somehow is Gaslit. Oh, I know Gaslit. Yeah. I don't I know. know how. I'll see. I, I don't know how I can get it either. I don't get the channel. Right. Mm -hmm. having, having heard you say that you like it so much, I will work on that pronto. Yeah. And um, I mean, interestingly enough, Julia Roberts and Sean Penn haven't historically been my favorite actors. I thought I they're good actors. I know. Particularly, but I I, yeah. I didn't think, oh yeah, they're so super fantastic. Well, I love Sean. But they're great in this. They're, good, they're good. both super great in this. And I've come to love Julia Roberts. For the first half of her career, I was not a fan, but the second half, I've been a fan. She, she does The other character I really like in this is the character of, um, of her daughter. Huh. So she's like, I don't know, 12 or 13. <laughs> and she's like, Mom's in one room and the girl's in the other room mixing herself a drink and having a cigarette. Oh, it's wow. Really, it's very <laughs> funny. The kid is, is like so precocious and, yeah. um, and wants to be just like mom and dad, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's like life in Kitimat. When um, we'd party at one of my friend's house, their parents would be like, help yourself to anything in the liquor cabinets. So they'd be like, yes, please. <laughs> well, that was nice. well, I did move to some wine during our conversation. Okay. Um, I had a little cough. I figured the wine would uh, mellow that out. And uh, it's been good talking to you. Good talking to you too. Hey, to our listeners, first of all, welcome new listeners. Welcome. Because we've had a, a really good week with lots of lots of downloads this week. Um, so, uh, so it looks like we've got some, some new folks joining us. We really appreciate it. Um, Write us an email. Yeah. <laughs> To the agency dot podcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Anything, even why did you listen? Uh, what are you looking at? Did Which one of us is most annoying? <laughs> <laughs> I'm afraid they'll answer that one. <laughs> All right. <sighs> and you can tell us your camping stories. Yeah, have you, yeah, uh, have you lost the battle to raccoon? <laughs> stories would be great okay we'll be back at you okay love next you next week thanks for listening love you guys bye